Hi, welcome to our Women's Bible Study. I'm Stephanie Schwartz, the Director of Women's Ministry at Compass Bible Church, and we're studying the books of First and Second Thessalonians. We're actually at the end of our study this week. We're wrapping up Second Thessalonians chapter 3, but don't worry, we still have more to come. We're going to be studying the fascinating text of First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 in three sessions this summer. We're calling it the power of gentleness. And there's going to be so much for us to learn and apply to our lives from the teaching that we find there. Um, Our teacher this week is the lovely Kelly Atterbury. Kelly is married to our pastor, Doug, and Kelly has two beautiful daughters. Uh, She's one of my newest friends, and I've discovered that Kelly is an amazing teacher of God's Word. So get ready to hear from God through the teaching of Kelly this week. Well, if you've seen any of the Abide Ministry videos lately, you might have seen my husband sharing about the time when he was a ropes course climbing instructor. This was a perfect job for him. He loves to climb, loves to hike, he enjoys being outdoors, and so it just made sense. But what you might not know is that I actually worked with him on that course for several years as a ropes course climbing instructor myself. If you know me, this is probably pretty surprising and you are probably laughing right now because we joke often that my version of being outdoors is having lunch on the patio. I am not brave, not coordinated, and not a fan of heights. And so it is actually pretty remarkable that I worked on this course for so long. But the reason I did work there is because the people I loved most worked there. My brother was a climbing instructor, Doug was a climbing instructor, and it was actually a sweet season where all of our youth ministry staff at church also worked on this course together. So I guess I figured that working with the people I love would counteract how ill-suited I was for this particular job. Well, needless to say, working on a ropes course, you have a lot of training to do. And before we started work on the course itself, we had to spend a lot of time studying manuals and learning how to tie knots and using the equipment and learning techniques and all of those things. And our instructor was very serious, very strict. We had to get this right. There was no room for failure because the people who would come to climb on our course were trusting us to keep them safe. Their lives were in our hands, so we had to be serious about this training. I remember when the training was finished and we were actually going to take our first day on the course itself learning the elements. And I remember thinking that I was probably ready. I'd spent a lot of time studying. Maybe I would surprise myself and be better at climbing than I thought. And it turns out that first day on the actual course in all the years that I worked there lingers on in my mind as the very hardest. And that's because that's the day I had to climb the centurion. The centurion was our pride and joy at that ropes course. It was the tallest element. It was a hundred foot tree. And at the top of this hundred foot tree was a tiny little platform that you could jump off to uh, about five feet out. There was a trapeze bar. So you could swing from this trapeze bar a hundred feet in the air. Needless to say, I had zero desire to ever climb this element. And I think naively, I thought maybe I wouldn't have to because everybody knew that you know I wasn't a fan of heights and maybe I would get out of it. So I was a little surprised when the very first day on the course, we get up to the top and my instructor looks at me and then points to the centurion. Ah, I dreaded it. I remember harnessing up and starting the climb and 
actually feeling pretty surprised. I was climbing well, I was remembering the techniques that I had been taught and, and making good time, and then right around halfway up the tree, I felt my rope pulling on my harness um, pretty hard. It was pulling me off the tree, and I was hanging onto the tree, and I yelled back to my instructor, hey, too much tension, I'm getting pulled. And he yelled back, no, that's actually normal. Turns out, the taller the tree you climb, the more you feel the tree swaying in the breeze, and it could move several inches at a time, which pulls your harness, and you can feel like you're getting pulled off the tree. Well. From that point on, my climb looked entirely different. My palms were sweating, my legs were shaking, I was absolutely terrified, and I just kept looking at that platform 50 feet above me thinking, I've just gotta get there, I've just gotta get there. When I finally did get to that platform, I was exhausted. Climbing a 100-foot tree is hard, but what I'm most ashamed of is when I got to that platform, instead of getting up and jumping off boldly like I told myself I would do, I actually collapsed and clung onto the platform for dear life while my rope was trying to pull me off. I stayed that way for more than half an hour. And the worst part about this whole situation is that I didn't expect that I would be able to hear my brother's voice so clearly from 100 feet below me yelling up to me to let me know what a failure I was and how embarrassing this was. I should just get up and jump. And he wasn't wrong, it was embarrassing. But the other voice that I heard so clearly was that of my instructor. And it was interesting because he was also yelling up instructions to me again. Here's what I needed to do to get off this platform. I needed to stand up slowly. I needed to grab the rope. I had to do X, Y, and Z to be able to jump successfully. He was still instructing me, but his tone had changed a bit. He was offering some encouragement, some comfort. He saw that I was scared and I was stuck up there on this platform. And he was trying to help me get down by reminding me what I already knew but had forgotten in that moment. I was connected to him and he was going to bring me down safely. But for that to happen, I had to trust him and do it. Now, before I started this climb, I would say that I trusted my instructor 100%. I wouldn't have climbed this if I didn't, but every little bit higher up the tree that I got, the smaller and smaller he became, and the less and less I remembered what he said, and the more and more I thought about my own surroundings, my circumstances, and my feelings at that moment. My perspective was skewed. Now, eventually, to everyone's relief, I did jump off the platform, didn't go for the trapeze, I just made it to the ground, and when I got to the ground, I saw that what my instructor had told me was true. He did actually have me. I was safe the whole time. And I wasted so much energy clinging onto that platform rather than just trusting him and jumping. Now, when I think about our own walk with the Lord, our own progress in sanctification and growing weary, this is the picture that I think of at times. Sometimes we do grow weary when we know we're trying to do what is right. We're trying to follow the Lord, don't we? There might be times when we feel tired or exhausted, like we just can't keep going. We know what we have to do, but our circumstances are more present to us than the truth that we know. Maybe we're more aware of our emotions or our fears or our weariness than we are of the fact that we have to keep on going. And this is exactly what we're going to be talking about today. Our perspective can so easily be skewed by our circumstances. and. I love that God in his sovereignty knew that today we would be studying this exact passage in 2 Thessalonians. 
still in the midst of this pandemic, we're still social distancing, we still have so many unknowns and uncertainties ahead of us. And now more than ever, we need that reminder to not get tired of doing what is right. Don't grow weary, don't give up, keep on going. At the end of these two short letters, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, Paul, our instructor, is changing his tone a bit. He's still going to be offering some instruction for us that we have to follow in order to fight weariness, but he's doing it with a different tone. He's giving us some encouragement, some comfort in these last few sentences that he's writing. I picture it like a, a father talking to his child and grabbing them by the face, saying, I know this is a lot. I know you feel tired, like you can't keep going, but don't you dare give up. The Thessalonians needed that encouragement, and so do we. That's why I'm so excited to be studying this particular passage with you today, our very last lesson in our study in First and Second Thessalonians. If you have your Bible, grab it with me. We're going to be reading in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Let's read it together. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. It's interesting that Paul is wrapping this all up with a command for us to not grow weary while we're doing what is good. So what does it mean to grow weary? Literally, it means to be tired, to be exhausted, to be spiritless, to run out of energy, so to speak. When I think about spiritual weariness, it's that picture, if you will, of climbing a hundred foot tree, that endurance that you need to keep on going. You know what you have to do, but you're just feeling tired. Or maybe you're hanging on tight and you're just trying to keep your grip as everything around you is pushing at you and pulling at you and you're just trying to hang on. It's that one foot in front of the other, just keep going, you've gotta keep going kind of mentality. Sometimes our souls can feel like that, can't they? We're so easily prone to becoming weary. It's part of our fallen nature. We need to be encouraged and reminded to keep on going, keep doing what is right. The Thessalonians definitely needed that reminder. Do you remember what we learned about them? They were brand new believers in a large ancient city. They were surrounded by all kinds of opposition, people who pushed back on them and hated them for their faith in Jesus. They were surrounded by pagan worship, by sexual immorality, by just people in general who opposed them. They were persecuted and afflicted, Paul said. They knew that following Christ cost them in so many ways. And in addition to that, they were also receiving letters from people who were lying, claiming to be Paul and telling them that the day of the Lord had come and they had missed it broke their hearts. This caused them so much anxiety, and Paul had to write to them to correct that, to tell them that was not the case, and to comfort them with the truth. In addition to feeling like they were being bombarded with persecution from the outside, they also faced challenges with their own brothers and sisters, the Thessalonians who claimed to be Christians. There were several Thessalonians that 
decided to stop working. They were being lazy and idle, and they were happy to take the generosity of the Thessalonian believers who would float them along. I'm sure the Thessalonian believers often felt weary, that they were doing what was right, they were working hard, but they were doing it all alone. They needed a reminder to keep on going. Don't give up. Don't grow apathetic to the importance of living a holy life. Keep doing what is right, even if you feel like you're doing it alone. They needed that reminder so badly, and so do we, don't we? I want to look today at verse 13, because part of the way that we are going to fight that feeling of weariness is by understanding something so fundamental. And Paul touches on it with his very first word here in verse 13. The first thing we notice is that Paul calls them brothers. And he does this frequently throughout the letters, but he reminds them that if they are genuine Christians, they are saved not only out of sin, but also into a family. And the same is true for us today. If you have repented from your sin and put your faith and trust in Christ, you are now saved into his family, the body. You are not alone. You have brothers and you have sisters. That's an incredible truth. Paul had a dearness and a love for them because they were part of the spiritual family. And that's how I want to word it for our first point, if you're taking notes. Number one, if we want to fight growing weary, then you must surround yourself with God's people. To fight growing weary, surround yourself with God's people. Part of how God allows us to fight that feeling of weariness is by reminding us that we're not doing this alone. We're not by ourselves. We are part of a bigger group. We're part of a family. We were made for community. And the Bible has so much to say about the community that God gives us. Look at chapter 1, verse 3. Paul said, We ought to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as it is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Isn't it interesting that as their faith increased, their love for each other increased? The more they loved the Lord, the more they loved other people who loved the Lord like they did. There's an instant camaraderie, a bond in Christ and his family. And that is so true, isn't it? In fact, maybe you and I have never felt that more seriously than we do right now when we can't be together. We probably long to be back with God's people. I don't know about you, but I'm eager for the day when we can be back at church with other people who love the Lord. I miss our church family, and it feels hard to be distanced from each other because we were made to be in community. It is something that God has given us in our fight against weariness to remind us that we are not by ourselves. We are surrounded by others who love Christ and we need each other to continue to grow in our faith and to grow in holiness. There's actually a danger in doing the opposite, the opposite being isolation or distancing yourself from other believers. We need each other to keep growing and the danger of doing the opposite is that we can be unable to grow in our faith. We can have a harder time of it. In fact, there's another danger that Paul even warned of in verse 14. He said, If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Obey what? Well, if you look back to chapter 1, verse 8, you'll see that he referenced the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And also in chapter 2, verses 15, he told them to hold tight to what they had been told by the apostles, either in spoken word or in letter. So to put it simply, we are to take note of those who walk in disobedience, either to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ or to the teaching of the apostles. 
which for us is the scripture. It's all written now in, in our time. We need to be aware of people who do not obey the gospel and do not obey the scripture so that we can warn them and they may be ashamed. Now, at first reading, it might seem a little harsh that we would want someone to feel ashamed. We certainly don't love when people feel embarrassed or ashamed. So why would Paul say something so harsh? Well, what I love about this phrase, to be ashamed, is that in Greek, it's actually one word, and the word is intrepo. And it means literally to, to turn or to turn on oneself. And that is exactly what we should be telling people who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that they should turn. It's a picture of repentance. They should turn on themselves. They should turn on their own efforts to be right with God and obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love how Jesus says it so plainly for us in John 14, verse 15, when he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. There is no such thing as being a Christian and not being obedient either to the gospel or to the scriptures. We don't get to make the rules for how we are saved. For those who do not know the Lord, who do not walk in repentance and trust in Christ, they need to be told that they are in danger. They need to be warned so that they feel ashamed of their own efforts to be right with God and will obey the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they too can have peace with God. Look with me at verse 15. This is how we are supposed to do this. This is the way in which we are to warn people. Not in hostility, not in arrogance, not in anger, not as an enemy. He says, do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Our approach should be loving and kind as we warn our brothers or even people who do not know the Lord at all that they are in danger and they need to repent. Some of you might be thinking of Matthew 18 right now where the steps for church discipline are laid out. This is not the same concept as that passage. Matthew 18 is dealing with a believer who refuses to repent and is refusing to be in fellowship with his brothers. And the steps are laid out for how that person is removed from fellowship so that they can repent. This passage is not referring to that same process of church discipline. This passage is encouraging brothers to warn others of sin, and they may repent for the first time. Maybe somebody will repent and put their trust in Christ, or maybe a sinner who's walking in a pattern of sin will turn to Christ. Either way, our approach should be one as a loving brother, not as an enemy. Our relationships with Christians, with other believers, are so, so, so important. We need each other. And we have to have community around us if we are going to keep from growing weary. This might feel a little impossible right now to say that we need to be around other brothers and sisters. We need community, especially now in this time where we are not allowed to be together is really challenging. It's difficult. I totally get that. It can be awkward to jump into a Zoom small group or to have a conversation on FaceTime or Marco Polo or whatever else it is. It just doesn't feel normal, but I hope you will really take to heart the importance it is to be around other people of God, to really surround yourself with God's people. I know it can feel awkward. Trust me, I get it. I'm standing in a room all by myself looking at a camera. I would rather be in a room with all of you all holding our coffee and looking for our seats for Bible study, but this is where God has us right now. And we have to be serious about intentionally pursuing relationships with other believers even if it means jumping in on Zoom or intentionally making phone calls. 
Can you imagine if the Apostle Paul had the chance to Zoom with the Thessalonians? You know he would have been all over that. Let's not waste any opportunity we have to use the technology that God has given us to obey the scripture and to be connected to other believers. It's important to remember that it's those who have repented from their sin and put their trust in Christ that are given peace with God, that that peace is what allows us to grow, uh, to keep from growing weary. And the people in our life, the body of Christ, our brothers and sisters are also with us to help us grow, keep from growing weary. It's really important to know that if you have not made the decision to repent from your sin, if you are not a real Christian, do not fool yourself into thinking that if you spend more time with more people, that you will keep from growing weary. The weariness that we are talking about, that ability to have peace that surpasses that weariness, that that we need comes only from God. The peace that God gives is permanent, it's powerful, it lasts, and it can't be found in anything else. Peace that God gives is totally different from the peace that the world gives. And we see that, especially now in this time, don't we? People who aren't right with God might have something that looks like peace. Maybe they seem happy or content and everything seems to be going fine. But when it comes right down to it, the peace that God gives is permanent and lasting. Maybe we can see it when we think about what is lost. So many times people can trust in their family members or trust in money or in health or happiness, the things that make them feel happy and satisfied. But the true test comes when everything is stripped away. And right now, we're seeing that clearly, aren't we? Health can be lost. Family members can die. We can lose our jobs. We can suffer loss. We can be kept away from our loved ones. All of those things are temporary. And it's so important to remember that we have to put our trust in what is lasting and real. That peace that God gives is different from what the rest of the world has. I love the way that Thomas Watson said it in 1833. Peace flows from sanctification, but they being unregenerate have nothing to do with peace. There's a great difference between a stupefied conscience and a pacified conscience. The seeming peace a sinner has is not from the knowledge of his happiness, but the ignorance of his danger. I want to take just a minute as we're wrapping up our study in 1 and 2 Thessalonians for us to really do some self-evaluation. If you've been coming to this Bible study and you're not really sure where you stand with the Lord, don't let this day go by. Make sure that you know that you are saved and that you have genuinely repented from your sin and put your trust in Jesus. There's no other way to be right with God and you won't have any genuine peace and you won't be able to resist being weary unless that is true, that you are right with the Lord. For those of us who are Christians, let's look at these first two verses and also do some self-evaluation. Where are we at? Are we growing weary as we're doing what's right? Are we warning others who need to know the gospel, who need to be reminded to walk in a way that pleases the Lord? Chances are we will not warn others who are disobedient if we ourselves are not walking in obedience. To walk in obedience, we have to know what the scripture says. We can't obey God's word if we don't know it. That means we have to be reading our Bibles. We have to be studying. Ladies, let's commit to be women who know the word of God and who apply it and obey it. There's no other way to walk in holiness. 
Now, more than ever, there are so many resources for us to continue to grow in our Bible study, isn't there? Even though this study is ending, don't let your time of study in God's word come to an end. Keep on searching the scriptures. Keep on learning and growing. If you need a place to start, go to YouTube and click on Compass Bible Church and you will find a couple hundred videos to help you get started. If you're doing the daily Bible reading, keep at it. Let's be women who are committed to knowing the word of God so that we can obey it. God is so kind to us, isn't he? He knows that we're prone to feeling weary and tired. He knows that we need the encouragement to keep going. And he has given us a family of his own people to link arms with us and do this together. And he's given us his word so we can know exactly how to obey him and we can learn more about him and keep our minds focused on him. And he gives us his peace that's different from the world the entire way through. And that's what I wanna focus on for our next point, to keep from growing weary. We must earnestly ask God for his peace. Earnestly ask God for his peace. So what does genuine peace look like? One commentator said it this way, and I'd love to read it to you. Spiritual peace is completely different from human peace. It's not fragile nor superficial. It's the deep, settled confidence that all is well between the soul and God because of his loving, sovereign control, both in time and eternity. It's the calm assurance based on the knowledge that sins are forgiven, blessings are present, good is abundant even in trouble, and heaven is ahead. Have you ever met someone that exemplifies this definition of peace, that they really are calm and steady despite trial, and they're confident that God is in control? and their hope is in heaven that's ahead of them? I have. Uh, when I was in high school, my cousin Olivia was born. My Aunt Lindy and Uncle Phil were so excited to welcome their third daughter. And it wasn't long after she was born that they noticed that something wasn't quite right with her fingers and her toes. She had no skin on her fingers and toes. She was rushed off and tests were done and it wasn't too long before she was diagnosed with a a pretty rare disease called epidermolosis bullosa, EB for short. And EB is uh, it's a disease that affects your layers of epidermis and your organs and causes some pretty um, uh, severe deformities, especially in your hands and feet. And it can affect your eyes and your kidneys and everything else. And the average lifespan of a person who has EB is between 20 and 30 years old. And there are different cases, different severities, um, but in the worst case, early death would happen, and you can imagine the grief that they felt when they were told that Olivia did in fact have the most severe case of EB, and there was no cure. She was six months old when she died, and I remember questioning why God would allow a baby to die. It was really hard to watch, and I will say that watching my aunt and uncle during that time was formative for my own faith. I'll never forget Olivia's funeral. It was so vivid in my mind, even still. My aunt and uncle got up and they read letters that they had written to her, and they urged the hundreds of people who had come to her funeral to put their trust in Christ. My dad got up also and explained the gospel so clearly and urged people to repent and put their trust in Christ. And, and I remember sitting there and thinking for the first time that I understood what it meant to have an eternal perspective. As a teenager, I watched my aunt and uncle really closely. 
I, I can tell you, they experienced the whole gamut of emotions. Were they angry at times? Yeah. Were they heartbroken? Yeah. Were they devastated and broken beyond repair? No. No, they were not. If anything, their confidence that heaven was ahead became even stronger. Uh, they said they have a deposit in heaven now, and they're eager to get there one day. And it's been 20 years now, and what I've seen in them, even still, is that they are caring for and counseling others who are dealing with grief. They are joyful. They're hopeful for the future when they get to be with the Lord and be with Olivia in heaven. And they're happy. They're thankful for the life that God has given them. Their circumstances were terrible, but their hope was steady and it didn't change. That's because their hope wasn't reliant on their circumstances. It was based on the peace that God gives. That is what I mean when we talk about the difference in the peace that God gives and the peace that the world gives. Even as I'm saying this, I'm sure some of you can think of examples of your, in your head of people you might know who aren't Christians, who suffer a loss or tragedy and turn to something to offer them peace that can't last. So many times when, when people are hurting, They'll turn to alcohol or becoming a workaholic or um, some sort of relationship or sex or drugs or whatever it is just to, to bring a temporary sense of peace or a temporary peace of uh, mind or happiness. But we know those things don't last. They can't because they're not from God and they won't, they won't be permanent. Look with me at how Paul describes genuine peace in verse 16. Now may the God of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. The first thing we have to know about peace is that it is a gift from God. God is the one who gives peace and that's because God is peace. Peace is an attribute of God that he shares with those who trust in him. He's able to give peace because he is the source of it. I love that. In Ephesians 2, 12 through 14, we learn that we have to remember that we are separated from Christ. We were without God in the world. But in Christ, we who were separated and far off have been brought near to God. That separation has been taken care of because Jesus Christ himself took down that wall of his hostility. He is our peace. He did the work to bring us to God. And that, knowing that we are right with God, that there's no more separation between us and God, that gives us a peace that is genuine and lasting and real. That kind of peace it is not contingent on our circumstances or what happens in our life. That kind of peace is unshaken because we know that our eternal destiny, our eternal life with God is secure. And it changes our perspective on the things that are here and now in our life here when we know that eternity is secure. I'd love for you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 with me. Let's read verses 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. How do we not lose heart? How do we keep confidence in the peace that God gives? How do we keep from growing weary? We keep our hope fixed 
on Jesus Christ, the one who made us right with God. We keep our eyes on him. Look at how Paul ends verse 16. The Lord be with you all. What an incredible statement. The Lord be with you all. He removes the separation between us and God. He forgives our sin. He makes us right. And then he is with us. The God who never grows weary, who's never tired, who's never anxious, who knows everything, who's in control of everything, that God is with us. I want to read a very familiar passage. I'm sure we've all heard several times, but I want you to listen to the words of this verse with that in mind, that picture of this God who loves us and saves us is with us. And think about how incredible it is that that is something that is true, that God is with us. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. That's in Isaiah 40, 28 through 31. Those who are connected to God through his son, Jesus Christ, are given the power to endure, are given strength rather than weariness. That, that is the way we can know genuine peace. Galatians 5.22 tells us that one of the fruit of the Spirit is peace, that when God gives his Spirit to those who are truly his, that they actually have peace as well. That's part of being saved in Christ. When we are tempted to feel weary, when we feel like we just can't keep going, it's hard to do what is right, we have got to remember that we need to ask God for this peace that he gives, this peace that comes from him. Philippians tells us exactly how we can do that in chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This word supplication is to, to beg, to earnestly ask for something. And we need to have that kind of approach. We need to ask God for his peace. Like Pastor Mike tells us all the time, our life is short. In a hundred years, all of us will be gone. We can't put our hope in things that are temporal and transient. We have to put our trust in Christ because he is the one who is eternal and gives us eternal life with him. That kind of peace, knowing that we are right with God, makes everything look different. That pulling the lens back, if you will, and seeing the big picture that we have been made right with God, our eternity is secure with God, it makes everything right here, right now, in this life that is temporary, look very different. And that peace that God is in control, he's working all things out for his good and his glory, and, and he will be in charge, that is the kind of peace that comes from him that we need. That's the peace that surpasses understanding, because it doesn't make sense to the world around us that is trusting in temporary things. It's that peace that surpasses understanding that I saw in my aunt and uncle. It's that peace that God wants to give us as well, and we need to ask him for it. 
Paul ends this letter with uh, a benediction, but before he does that, he does something kind of interesting. He's letting them know that he is signing off with his own hand, that this is coming straight from him. Look at verse 17. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It's the way I write. We know that the Thessalonians were receiving letters from people who were lying, who were pretending to be Paul, and it was unsettling. So Paul wanted them to understand that everything they read in this letter was coming straight from him. This was truly him that was writing this letter. So he grabs the pen at the end, so to speak, and he signs off. And it would have been very recognizable for them to know that this was Paul's handwriting. This was the, the sign of authenticity. We do the same thing now, if we think about it. If you sign your name on a check and the bank suspects that there has been some sort of fraud on your account, oftentimes they will check a fraudulent signature and compare it with your signature. They're looking for the genuineness of your writing, the way you write. Paul is essentially doing the same thing here. He's letting them know that this letter came straight from him and they can trust it. And that is so important for us as well because we need to understand this letter did come straight from Paul. It does have apostolic authority and it should be obeyed as such. Now, once he establishes authenticity, he moves on to close the letter out. And that's what I want to end with. Let's read verse 18 together. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. He finishes this letter by drawing attention to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've read anything that Paul has written, this isn't anything new. In fact, he always, almost always references God's grace and peace, and usually together. But here, he closes out this letter saying, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And grace really sums up everything in our sanctification, doesn't it? I have heard uh, one say, our, our entire Christian life begins and ends with God's grace. And so in a way, it's a very fitting way to end this letter. And I want to think about uh, God's grace as we close. Grace is the gracious, generous favor of God that he gives to those who do not deserve it. God's grace is what saves us. God's grace sanctifies us. God's grace enables us to live for him. And God's grace will bring us home to himself when our life is through. God's grace is a good gift that he gives to his children. And it's so important that we remember how much we need that in our life. And I want to spend a little time thinking about God's grace. So if you're taking notes, our last point will be that if we are to continue to do good and not grow weary, we must wholly rely on God's grace. Wholly rely on God's grace. When, when I think back to climbing the centurion, I think about how hard it was. I think about every muscle hurting. I think about sweating. I think about the effort I had to put in and how much work it took to get to the top. But it would be ridiculous for me to say that I climbed a 100-foot tree and jumped out all by myself, 100% on my own. I would have lived to tell the tale. That's not true. The fact of the matter is for me to be able to climb a 100-foot tree, I had to be harnessed up. And that harness was attached to my back. I had to trust that it was secured safely because I couldn't even see it. I knew as I climbed that if I were to fall off halfway up the tree, I would still get to the ground safely. And the same with reaching the platform. If I got to the top and jumped out, I knew I wasn't falling to my death. I would be lowered safely to the ground. You know, really, when I think about my climbing the centurion, the one who was 
ultimately responsible for my successful climb was my instructor. If he had walked away for just a minute or let go of the rope when I was jumping, I would have died. I needed him to be able to successfully climb the tree and get back safely. Now, how ridiculous would it be if when I got back to the ground, I looked up at him and said, do you see that? You see how good I am at climbing trees? He would have laughed because he had a front row seat to watching my cowardice as I was climbing this tree and hanging onto the platform in fear. I needed him to get me back down safe. It took a team effort. Yes, I had to put the work in and climb, but I also needed him to get me back safely. If it weren't for him, I would have died. Don't we think about our sanctification that way sometimes? We're so quick to focus on how well we are doing and the effort we're putting in, and we forget that really the thing that is enabling us to do what is right in the first place is God's grace. It's by his grace that he has saved us in the first place and taken us out of darkness and into light. It's by his grace that he has given us his Holy Spirit who seals us for redemption. And it is his spirit who gives us what we need to honor him, to walk in a way that is pleasing to him and to do what is right. Galatians 5, 16 through 25 says that if we walk by the spirit, we will not gratify the desires of our flesh. That's what we bring to the table, the desires of our flesh. But it's the Spirit of God who enables us to do what is right and to continue to grow in sanctification. It's by God's grace we are sanctified. If he redeemed you and he gave you the helper to help you along the way, he also will sustain you to the end. And I love how Hebrews 2.9 says this. It was the grace of God that Jesus tasted death for everyone. We can have confidence that our eternal life is secure because Jesus died on our behalf. Yes, every single person will die physically, but we don't have to experience the second death, the separation from God for all eternity. Our eternal life is secure in Christ, and that is a gift of grace that he has done that for us. It's by God's grace we are eternally secure. Like I said before, God's grace does not negate our responsibility to work hard. We have to really, really put in effort to live a life of holiness, a life that honors God. In fact, nobody knew this better than the Apostle Paul. Listen to how he described this in 1 Corinthians 15.10. He said, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, Though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. We should have the exact same attitude. It's by God's grace that we can work hard to please him. Even when we face discouragement and we feel like we're growing weary and we need help to keep going, God in his kindness gives us grace for that as well. Let's remember 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Even in weakness, we can know that God's grace will strengthen us to continue to do what is right and keep going. It's by God's grace that we are strengthened. I wanna look again at verse 18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. It's by God's grace that we are saved it's by God's grace we are sanctified. It's by his grace we are eternally secure. 
we're able to work hard and we're strengthened in weakness. God's grace really is a gift to us that he saves us, he sanctifies us, and he carries us through all the way to the end. As believers, we have to rely on God. We can't start trusting in ourselves. We need to ask God to give us what we need to obey him. We need to rely on the grace that he gives us to continue to grow in holiness. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24 said that it is the God of peace himself who will sanctify us completely, that our whole spirit and soul and body will be kept blameless at the coming of Jesus Christ. He who calls us is faithful. He will surely do it. When we start to feel weary, we have to rely on God's grace. We have to remember that he is in sovereign control of every detail of our life, and he will give us what we need to continue to do good, to continue to do what is right, and to continue to grow in our faith, even when we feel tired. We have to commit to keep going. How differently would my climbing experience have been if I actually really trusted what my instructor said, if I believed that I was safe the whole time? I still would have had to put in a ton of effort. I still would have worked hard and been sore the next day. But just maybe I would have climbed well. Maybe I would have climbed quicker. Maybe I would have grabbed the trapeze bar and my fellow workers would have seen this whole process and been encouraged for their turn to climb. People are watching us and how we are responding to God. They're watching how we trust the Lord. And we need to think about our example. In the midst of this uncertain time, what will our friends, our kids, our coworkers, our neighbors, our family members, what will they see in us? Are they going to remember us moms as being in our jammies and crying and stressing about the world that our kids are going to have to grow up in? Are our coworkers going to see us complaining and, and panicking at every new news article? Will our neighbors maybe have conversations with us that they've never had before and see that something really is different, that we trust in the God who gives peace? We have an opportunity to really live out this faith in God that we are eternally secure with him and our hope is so much bigger than the temporary world around us. Let's be serious about obeying what God's word says. Let's be serious about surrounding ourselves with God's people and keeping our eyes on the Lord and doing everything in our power to encourage others and to keep ourselves encouraged to obey the Lord and do what's right. Let's be women who are serious about studying the word of God and knowing how to obey God well. Let's be serious about asking God earnestly for the peace that only he gives, that our perspective would be eternal, and that the peace that rules our life is genuine and lasting because it's fixed on God himself. Let's be women who wholly rely on the grace that God gives us to empower us to keep going, to keep doing what's right, even when we feel tired and even when it gets hard. It's my prayer that we will continue to pursue the Lord with all our hearts and that we really, really will be women who know genuine peace and are examples of holiness and hope. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word and thank you for, thank you for showing us, Lord, that we don't have to grow weary. We don't have to be discouraged or lose hope because you've promised to give us what we need, that you are with us, that you empower us with your grace and with your own spirit, Lord, and that you will be there with us to the end, God. 
I pray that you would uh, allow us to be examples to our children, to the people around us of what it looks like to trust in you, God, you, the God of peace, the God who is in sovereign control of every single detail, that nothing's a surprise to you, nothing is too hard for you. I thank you, Lord, that we have the opportunity to study your word together, and I, I thank you for all the women that are um, doing this study together, and I ask that you would encourage us to keep doing what we know is right, to not grow weary, to rely on you with all our hearts, Lord. I thank you so much for this time, and I thank you for your word, and it's in your son's name I pray. Amen.